Thank you for our additional instrumentalists as well. Thank you very much for leading us in worship in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to open them with me, I'll be in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are your people. Lord, I pray that you cleanse us with your fire and glory this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd stand in front of me while I stand in front of them so that you'd, they'd see you rather than me. And Lord, as I speak, that they would hear you rather than me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever seen a salmon ladder? I'm not talking about the kind fish use. Uh, I'm talking about the kind young men uh, primarily use. We were watching a uh, show about a superhero. I'm, my boys tell me it's a true story. And he would train on the salmon ladder. Up and down the salmon ladder he would go. And my sons were like, Dad! Dad! We need a salmon ladder, Dad! And I thought it was a fad, but weeks later, like, Dad, Dad, are you going to get us a salmon lighter, Dad? And so eventually I broke down, and um, one of you helped me build it. And so we built this salmon ladder, and, you know, they go right up it, just ding, 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 all the way to the top, drop back down. And so I'm like, well, if they can do it, it can't be that hard. <laughs> so, I, you know, I get the bar, put it up there. And I'm hanging, I'm like, okay, this is probably the time when I should, like, I'm like, but man, I am so heavy. <laughs> I am so heavy. So uh, I was like, this is not okay that they can do it and I can't. So I trained for 18 months and got so I could do one rung. <laughs> You're laughing, but I was proud. And so I trained another six months. So I could do two rungs. This is my attempt at two rungs. Okay? <laughs> you want to see it again? hear that noise? We hear that all the time when we're driving. <laughs> so I sent this video to a friend of mine, and uh, he's like, dude, you need to knock it off. You're too old for that. You're going to get hurt. Do you want to ride a wheelchair up from your car into the house? Is that what you want to do the rest of your life? Like, you, need to, you need to find something else to do. And I think he's right. You know, I, I think there are things eventually that you just need to give up on. And I think this, that salmon ladder, at least, is one of them. That doesn't have any safety features. That's just do or die, you know. And so I need to quit on that. There are things in life that you just need to give up on. 
And there are things in life that you don't need to give up on. There are people that you don't need to give up on, that you shouldn't give up on. But giving up is attractive because giving up gives us a sense of relief, doesn't it? When you give up, you're like, oh, well, at least I don't have to do that anymore. When you give up, you get a sense of closure where you're like, okay, well, that's behind me. I've given up, and I don't have to think about that anymore. I've given up. And you get this sense of closure and moving on. The Apostle Paul, I asked you to turn to Acts 22 earlier, he's at a time when, when I would have given up. He had gone to the temple to try to have unity between him and the Jerusalem believers. And at the temple, he was recognized by, by some angry people in the temple, and they literally tried to beat him to death on the spot, live and in person. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if that's you. I mean, imagine even watching this. They recognize him. They say, hey, this is the, this is the guy that's polluting the temple. This is the guy bringing Gentiles in. They grab him. They drag him outside the temple, and they just start beating them, and they're, they're really trying to kill him. They're trying to lip, rip him limb from limb. They're trying to to, to beat the life out of him. And, and the Romans see this, and the Romans are like, well, that's not okay. And they come down out of the fortress Antonia, and they come over, and, and they stop it. And, well, well, let's pick it up here. As we think about who would you be tempted to give up on? I was so excited to get to the text, I forgot to tell you where we're going here. So who would you be tempted to give up on? What would you say? And then when is the right time? So as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, so of course I mentioned this was the fortress Antonia and the temple, and there's the fortress Antonia, you can see it um, there in the, in the top center. This is where the Romans would watch over the Jewish temple, and so Paul is, he was being beaten to death, the Romans come in, they grab him, they bring him up to the, up to the steps, and, and he says to the Roman in charge, the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian? Well, I mean, why would, how do you put those things together? A Jewish guy getting beaten to death, and he says something in Greek, and they go, you must be Egyptian. How, do, how does that work? So I'm going to read a little bit to you from John Stott, and he puts it like this. The revolutionary whom Lysus, we know the Roman in charge, we know his name from Acts 23, verse 26, was referring, was described by Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian writing for the Romans, was described by Josephus as an Egyptian false prophet who, about three years previously, had gotten together 30,000 men. Josephus was prone to exaggeration. I'm glad it's Josephus that was prone to exaggeration rather than the Bible. You'll see the Bible number here in a second. Had gotten together 30,000 men, Josephus was prone to exaggeration, and led them to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives looks over 
the Jewish temple, so you come up over the Mount of Olives, you go down into the Kidron Valley, and then you come up to the Mount of Jerusalem where the temple was. So he leads them up to the Mount of Olives and promises them that when the walls of Jerusalem fell flat at his command, they would be able to break into the city and overpower the Romans. This didn't go great for him. But the um, procurator, Felix, and his troops intervened. Um, luckily, the, fall, the walls did not fall. Um, they, they intervened, and the Sicarii, the daggermen, the fanatical nationalist assassins, were killed, captured, or scattered. But the Egyptian disappeared. They never, they never caught him. So here's this guy getting beaten to death in the temple, and, and the Roman in charge, the tribune, says, Oh, this must be that Egyptian coming back. Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and, let them, and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Isn't that you? And Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. I don't know about you, but that just seems nuts to me. Here, they've just been trying to beat him to death in this riot. They're mad and angry. The Romans come in and save him. They drag him up. to. They even have to carry him, it says. They have to carry him because people are trying to grab at him and kill him and drag him back to the crowd. They carry him up to the barracks. They get him. They're about ready to go in. Paul says, now seems like a good time for me to share the gospel. Would that be okay? It's amazing. And when he had given him permission, he's like, well, I, go ahead. Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers. I mean, he's still bleeding. He's still bloody and broken. But he insists. He insists on respecting them. As fathers, he insists on loving them as brothers. He insists that the relationship be positive, no matter what they're going to do to him. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew, just like you guys. I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city. So we moved to Jerusalem when I was a kid. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. We met him in Acts chapter 5. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Boys, I know as much about the law as you do. Being zealous for God. This is one of my favorite lines in this passage, or even in Acts. Being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. And I can tell you're zealous for the law. You know, he's bleeding because of their zealousness for the law. He's like, I can tell you guys are super zealous. I was zealous too once. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Like they remember. They remember who I was. They remember what I did. They remember. From them I received letters to the brothers. And I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, 
a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Look at me. When you hurt, Jesus feels it. And he said, and he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And now those who were with me saw the light and did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, you would have liked him, guys. You know, as he's talking to this angry mob that, that are zealous and want to kill him, he's like, this guy that you would have really liked, he came to see me. He was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. You would have related well to him. He's, he's going, Paul is going to them and meeting them and telling them his story in a way that they can relate to. Came to me and standing by me and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you. The God of our fathers. Like he's saying, look, the God I worship and the God you worship. He appointed me to this. And in the words of Ananias, he appointed you. You know, appointed is like being chosen. He, he picked you for this. Which how could Paul deny? He was, he was on Damascus trying to persecute them, trying to persecute the church. He, he wanted nothing positive to do with Jesus. He thought Jesus was a cancer that needed to be cut out of Judaism. And so he's on his way up to violently extract this parasite called Christianity. And Jesus meets him. And how, how, how can it be anything but Jesus appointing him? And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. When I was a kid, I used to go to summer camp. Uh, I was about, I think about Asher's age. I was in elementary school. And and the camp director, or the, the speaker, would come in and he would pick out a piece of wood from the wood pile that was, that was going to be burned. And he would pick out this piece of wood and he would work on carving it all week long. And he'd, he'd set up shop um, outside the cafeteria or so. You know, we'd walk by him and we'd see him chiseling at this piece of wood or we'd see him um, carving at the piece of wood or we'd see him sanding this piece of wood. And it would go from a log that was going to be burned to a beautiful piece of art. He, he would turn it into an elephant. I remember he, he, when a couple, and he always did an elephant. 
every year. But it would go from this log to be burned to this beautiful piece of art. He, he chose this piece of wood. And he saved it from the fire. And he made it something beautiful. And that testified to his skill. It testified to his mercy. And it testified to his grace. And you can, you can see where I'm going with this. The Apostle Paul is standing up on the steps. And they're down there and they're mad at him. And they want to kill him. And Paul is saying... God just chose me. God saved me. God remade me. And he's telling them his story so that they can believe it and that they can be saved too. Because God still chooses people. God still saves people. God still remakes people. God still has mercy on people. So when you're like, why even try? I should just give up. Why even try? Because as God showed you grace, he can show them grace. As you tell your story of God's grace to them, perhaps God will reach down and save them. As you tell your story of how God saved you, in spite of you, Perhaps, perhaps God will move them and they'll be saved in spite of them. See, I really believe Paul gets up at this crazy time after he'd been beaten, after he's, he's in custody, he's moving into, in, into, the, into the barracks and he says, wait, 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 let me talk to them one more time. I really believe Paul thought there was hope for everybody because Paul had experienced this grace for himself. Why even try? Because God is bigger and stronger and better than all of our sin. And God can soften the hardest hearts. Paul goes on. And now what? why do you wait? So this is Ananias talking to Paul as Paul is telling his story of God's grace, as Ananias comes to him and says, God picked you for this, so you'd be a witness to his grace. So you'd tell your story of God's grace, which, by the way, Paul tells, you know, in, in the, I guess in Luke, Paul's story, his testimony gets told three times. This is the second of the three. And, and so as he's telling his story of God's grace, now he's going to tell of his baptism. And he says, now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. You know what's pictured in baptism, what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, is that in baptism, the picture is that we go under the water, and when we go under the water, the picture is that we're dying to our sins, that we're dying to that old way of life, that we're buried as we go under the water, and that when we come out of the water, it's like being raised to newness of life. This is a picture of what happens to us spiritually when we get saved. And so, here, here's a way to think of it. He's like, I died with Christ, so I died to that, those old sins. 
I am dead to them. I've been buried, so I'm not going back to them. And I have been raised to newness of life. And Paul says, this is like having your sins washed away. That, that as you've been defiled by sins as you've lived your life, as the dirt of past sins mounts and mounts and gathers and mounts, as the disease of addiction grows and grows and grows, here's what can happen. You can surrender to Jesus as Lord and receive him as Savior, and you can have your sins washed away. And that is pictured in baptism. Why even try? Why even try when giving up is easier and quicker and makes us feel better sometimes? When giving up would give closure? When giving up would give us relief? Why even try? Well, because God's grace is bigger and stronger and better than all of our sin. Because God can still pick people. Because God can still move people towards himself. Why even try? Well, because God still washes away sin. And I really believe when Paul says this, he says, when he's telling his story, he's telling it as an invitation to them. That this is what God did for me, and this is what God will do for you. If you surrender to Jesus as Lord and receive him as Savior. And when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. And saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. I believe this is referring back to the end of Acts chapter 9. When the Apostle Paul had been in Jerusalem before and they were going to kill him. And so the brothers sent him, excuse me, <coughs> send him away. Because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, so history is repeating itself here. Paul had been there before and they had rejected him and tried to kill him before. And here he is back. Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another. So I think what's going on is God says to Paul, you need to go. I'm sending you away. And Paul is protesting, saying, but I want to stay. Here's my question for you. Why would Paul want to stay? Why wouldn't he say, yes, thank you. Send me to the Gentiles. That'd be great. Why does he want to stay? Well, so he says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. I think he wants to stay because he knows that he has the most credibility. They know that he was one of them. And he has the moral authority to say to them, I was wrong, and Jesus' way is right. I was one of you, and I can tell you, you're on the wrong path. And I can tell you, Jesus is the right path. He has the moral credibility to say that to them. So much so that it makes them really mad when he says it. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, like, I was there. They all know I was there. I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Like, they remember me being there. They know who I was. And they know the grace that has been at work in my life. They should listen to me. He's making his case before God that he stay in Jerusalem. 
And God says, no. I want you to go tell the Gentiles. So he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, this is, this is where we're not going to go farther in Acts 22, but we'll, we'll do that next week. Because when Paul says this, they, the, you know, the people listening to him really, really, really get mad. They start throwing dirt in the air. They start chanting. They start screaming. They, they want to kill him even worse at that point. But I think, I think Paul does this because he thinks he, he has the credibility to have this conversation with them. But also, also, well, let me read to you from Romans chapter 9. I think you'll see it here. Romans chapter 9, verse 3 says, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Why does Paul stay? Why does he want to talk to them? Why does he share the gospel with them? Because he loves them. Because he loves them. And it's like he's saying, if I could be accursed for them, I would. If I could be cut off for them, I would. Who, who does that remind you of? Reminds me of Jesus. Jesus who did. He actually bore our curse because he loves us. Who actually did bear the curse as he died for our sins. Who, who was cut off for us as he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul has been emulating Christ his whole life and preaching Christ. Now he's becoming like Christ as he loves, he loves these people who hate him with dying on the cross, giving his life for theirs love. Why even try? You try because you love them. Why even try? Well, try because God still washes away sins. Why even try? Well, because God can overcome the hardest of hearts. Because God is greater and bigger and stronger than all of our sin. Because God still chooses people. I'd like to show you a picture by Gustav Dorr. Back from the, from the, I think it's 1800s. Yeah, 1800s when he did this. I think it's a wood carving of, of this scene. And so as you think about who, who you're tempted to give up on, who you're tempted to just say, you know, why even try? I'm not even going to talk to them anymore. I'm not even going to bring it up anymore. Why even try? I'm, I'm done praying for them. I'm done hoping for them. I, I want the relief of giving up. I just want you to just kind of see this scene maybe in a new way. As you, as you see the riots and the anger and, and the Apostle Paul saying, these are my brothers. These are my kinsmen. If I could go to hell for them, I would. I love them. Who is it Christ has called you to witness to? 
and, and, and what has he called you to tell them? Okay, so we said, we said why is the big picture? We spend the most, the most of our time there. And then who? And now, now what, what is the story that you should tell? As you think of Paul in this passage up there, like, just let me try. Let me have a shot. You know, I, I checked, and Paul uses me three times, which isn't that impressive in these 21 verses, but he uses I 18 times in these 21 verses, which often we think of as a bad, team, as a bad thing. We often think of, well, don't, don't just make this all about you. But what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's telling his story of God's grace to them. He's saying, this is what God did for me. This is where I was, and this is where God brought me. Hard to argue with your story because it's your story. As you think about, okay, if I'm going to share the gospel with this person, what should I say? Well, start with what God has done in your life. Start with, start with the grace that God has shown you. Start with your need and the change that God has brought about in you. Start with how important Christ has been to you. Start with that. It's hard to argue with that. And finally, finally, we talk about when. And, and I tell you, I, I think I am the king of saying, well, now is not the right time. And maybe avoiding hard conversations because, you know, now is not the right time. And I think there's truth in that. Proverbs 27, 14 says, if you bless your neighbor loudly in the morning, they'll count it as a curse. You know, you think of that, so, you know, your, your kid's, come out, you know, it's 9 a.m., it's a crack of dawn, you know, and they're coming out, you know, like, like barely, they can barely see, and they're looking for the lucky charms, and you're like, good morning, hey, how you doing today, what's the plan for today, let's get started, like, okay, you're happy, but they count that as a curse, and that's not the right time to enter into deep conversations, like, with them, because they're still, like, like, waking up, and, and there's a sense in which it's true that timing is important. So the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 14, timing is important. But let's not use that as our excuse all the time. Let's not avoid conversations we should have because it's never going to be easy. If we wait till it's easy, we'll never have those conversations. If we wait till it's not socially awkward, we'll never have those conversations. If we wait until they're ready to have the conversation, I don't know if we ever have the conversation. The Apostle Paul knew this might be his last chance. So even if they're angry and mad and just beating him and he's in custody being brought up into the barracks and he's like, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Can I share the gospel? Can I please? And to me, this is just inspiring that you take the chance you have. And here he is taking the chance he has. 
Because we want to be people. We want to be people that love others enough to take a risk. We want to be people that believe in God enough to take a risk. That believe God can change hearts. That believe God can change lives. We want to be people that make the most of every opportunity. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you pull us close to yourself this day. Lord, that you would do the work in our lives. And Lord, the, the times and the things that we've tempted to give up on, the times and the things that we just want to quit on, Lord, I pray that you give us grace to know what to quit on and what not to quit on. That you give us grace to know when you've called us to speak and when you're calling us to someone else. Lord, I pray that your spirit would meet us powerfully this day, that you give us courage for obedience, regardless of what you're calling us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.